When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. Soccer fans, make your stand against the spread of coronavirus. Practice your three W's. Wear, wait, wash. Blue Cross and Blue Shield of North Carolina. We resolved to help North Carolina stay healthy. Always train the best. Make sure you're fit. And when I came in at UNC, I wasn't fit enough. I came from an environment that was not as competitive as it was at UNC and the players were there. It's also culture. When you're the culture in, in the US is that it's always about fitness and always about data. They count everything. Uh, we don't even think about things they take count of. But the competitiveness and the focus, when you train, you train. There's nothing else. You have focus. You're listening to the Vision of a Champion podcast with Anson Dorrance, eight-time coach of the year, 22-time national champion, coach of the 1991 Women's World Cup team, Hall of Famer, leader, and mentor to so many in the soccer community. On this podcast, Anson brings on players and coaches to discuss what it means to be a champion, the drive, the passion, the desire, and yes, the stories. 
everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Vision of a Champion podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Bodie, a color analyst for the Tar Heel Women's Soccer Program and the North Carolina Courage. Today's episode of the podcast will be centered around Chapter 8 and go over the different levels of play all the way from youth soccer to the college level. Anson gives a brief description of each level and the benefits of playing at each of those levels. The latter half of this chapter dedicates time to explain specific strategies to help young, talented players develop and reach higher levels of soccer. This includes trying out for the ECNL or a Players Development League, playing up to an older age group, or a standout female player joining a men's team. Whether you're about to join a youth national team roster or you just kicked a soccer ball for the first time at a rec game, this chapter has something for you. Our guest for today's episode is Serena Wegman, former UNC player and current head coach of the Netherlands women's national team. Serena is one of, if not the best Dutch female player and coaches ever. As a player, she has won the Dutch Domestic Cup three times and won a national championship with UNC in 1989. Her first cap for the Netherlands national team was when she was 17, and she finished with 104 caps when she retired in 2001. She was captain of the national team for a long stretch and led her squad through some deep runs in multiple World Cups and European competitions. She's the first Dutch player, male or female, to have 100 caps on the national team. As a coach, her record is just as impressive. Starting in the Dutch Women's Professional League, she won the Domestic Cup an additional three times before being brought on as an assistant to the Netherlands Women's National Team. She became the head coach six months before the UEFA Women's European Championship in 2017. The team was heading into the championship, losing four out of five friendlies and was projected to make an early exit. Serena pulled together a career-defining coaching performance and helped her team win the championship over Denmark. After that performance, she was named FIFA's Best Women's Coach of the Year. In the 2019 World Cup, her squad had another amazing run and lost in the championship game to the United States. In such a short time as head coach, she has already made the Netherlands a powerhouse with a bright future. We're also joined by Anson Dorrance, who coached Serena in that 1989 national championship team, plus an additional 21 national championship teams and a World Cup winning team. Anson has been running women's soccer since the 80s, and Serena Wegman is the new kid in town who already has had some impressive achievements and is ready to accomplish more. I'm very excited to hear these two dive into the chapter and break down the different levels of soccer. Welcome to you both. Thank you, Natalie. Serena, first off, I just wanted to give you a chance to elaborate on your time at UNC you know, being an American college student and additionally being a soccer player, of course, under Coach Anson Dorrance. Well, um, when I came to UNC, I, I wasn't really prepared. But uh, within a couple of days, I, I realized that I was in, a, for me, a soccer paradise, that I was in the best environment I could imagine. And I wanted to leave the Netherlands for a long time because there was no recognition for women's soccer um, there was no acceptance for women's soccer, so I knew that I wanted to go to the U.S. because I heard that it was really good there. And I think I was really, really lucky to get the opportunity to go to UNC. Although I think Anson and Dino didn't know me that well. They just had some footage from the World Cup the year before, which was the first unofficial World Cup. 
and we had a chat in China and I said, well, I would like to come to the US. And then it went on and I went there and I finally find people that were the same, that were thinking the same as I had. And in the Netherlands, I didn't have that. I wanted to experience the same thing. We're into soccer as I was. And in the Netherlands, I was always different uh, because girls didn't play. And girls didn't play as much as I did and didn't love the game. Well, maybe they did love, but they were not allowed to play. So for me, I got in this environment, which was, you know, you were challenged. I always say Anson and Dino because they were so, they made you feel so uh, welcome. And they had attention for you. And they were great coaches. So the, the environment and the family, thing, they created kind of a family thing which made it for me, like I, when I went home, I said, this was a football par- soccer paradise and uh, it changed my life. I was very receptive for all the things at that age. I was 19. I was very receptive of the things. And I, I think it changed me as a person. And I think I, it, it still benefits me in the way I live now and the way I coach. Anson, I want to give you a chance to kind of also elaborate on that story, obviously talking to Serena, recruiting her to come to UNC and maybe any advice or experience you have for other coaches about, you know, recruiting international players and how the process is different and really making them feel at home. Yeah, well, here's what's interesting. Uh, first of all, uh, I loved having uh, Serena uh, with us and then love following her career. And I don't know if Serena remembers this, but uh, after uh, uh, that world championship, I was asked to speak in Holland. So I'm there in Holland, and I think Serena remembers this. (laughs) And I was explaining to all the Dutch coaches that uh, we were basically uh, quantifying technique. So we had all these different ladders where the kids were competing in all the different skill sets. And if you know anything about the Dutch, they're an extraordinarily brutally honest and aggressive sort of culture. And so I'm standing there in front of them and I'm watching poor Serena watch me get ripped to shreds by all these Dutch coaches that refused to accept anything I was saying. I didn't realize at that time you experienced it like that. Oh, no, no, it's absolutely. So I'm sitting there and all these Dutch coaches, and by the way, this is in Zeist. This is, these are all their national coaches. And most of them obviously are men. And most of them coach in the men's game. And uh, I'm looking out there. And, you know, I've been coaching a long time. And I've lived all over the world. And uh, I'm used to being attacked. And so for me, this wasn't something I couldn't bear. It's just something, you know, that, that happens. And so anyway, I'm getting attacked by all these Dutch coaches about, you know, how you can't quantify technique. You can't see it. So you can't quantify it. And what I was sharing was absolutely ridiculous you know, you can't do this because we rank everything at UNC, including your skill set, trapping, passing, shooting, dribbling, and heading, as Serena knows. Everything for us is a competition because I genuinely believe the way you improve in everything is by competing in everything in practice. So anyway, I was just beaten to death by all these coaches, and I'm looking out there, and I'm looking at Serena's face, and I could tell she felt for me. I could tell, you know, she wanted to protect me. She wanted to protect her old coach while I was getting beat up by all of her colleagues. So anyway, so now I'm off to Zeeland because uh, the national team was playing one of the clubs there. And uh, the person that's driving me is one of the people in the room, one of the national coaches uh, for Holland. And we're driving to Zeeland together. And now we're driving through the Dutch windmill district. And so the Dutch coach is, you know, telling me how, you know, this is a really good day because he can tell from the wind that they're going to get a lot of energy from today. 
and he's giving me all these numbers of the wind measurements. And I'm saying, ah, this is ridiculous. You know, there's no way you can measure the wind. And, and I'm saying this again and again, and I'm trying to use the same phrases the Dutch coaches were using in the meeting that I had with them about how you can't quantify technique. And this guy couldn't understand what I was trying to say because I was literally trying to mimic every criticism I just got the previous day in Zeist about, you know, you can't measure this and you can't measure that. And all of a sudden it dawned on him, ah, I know what you're doing. You're telling me the same things we were telling you yesterday. I said, yeah, you frigging idiot. You know, of course you can measure the wind. Of course I can measure technique. And so anyway, it was just a wonderful sort of discussion of, you know, the way I was treated, you know, by the Dutch coaches in Zeist. And then, you know, I'm, you know, for me, you know, none of this is personal. And so we were having a good time together. And by the time we got to Zeeland, we were good friends. And I really enjoyed watching the, the Dutch national team play. Serena, I am curious about something. First of all, I love watching your team play in the World Cup. I thought they were extraordinarily competitive. And I think the thing that's always separated our teams at UNC, but also separated my national team from all the other teams we played against, and I still think it exists today for the United States, I think what separates the United States isn't that we're more tactically sophisticated. I don't think we are. I don't think we're the best team technically. I don't think we are. I think uh, certainly the French are as athletic as we are. And if you look at some of your best players, I think you're just as athletic as we are, as are some of the other teams. But I still think what separates us and what separates UNC and what I'm hoping you learned at UNC was this thing about competitive fire, about mentality. And I want you to tell me if any of those experiences when you were in your first year for us is something you reflect on as a Dutch coach, although, of course, I know your culture. Uh, but tell us if that stuff is something you took into the Dutch water when you got back to Holland. Yes, definitely. But I wasn't totally understood. The difference in culture was so huge that I took things from UNC, but I felt I wasn't understood at that time in the environment I was in. Only some coaches did, but the teams I played in, there was the, just too much of a gap in the way I experienced varsity sports than other ones, than some of them. What I experienced at UNC in that year was so different from the Netherlands. We weren't there yet. We were like varsity players combined with recreational players. And that doesn't fit at all. So I got really interested in people, in behavior. I was already, but when you get older, you get more aware of things. And when I was at UNC, I just, what I just said, I was very receptive of the things, but I wasn't aware at all times. I, the, the awareness came afterwards. Like being competitive all the time, um, I had to get used to that. But for me, I was always also in, a, in another culture and in another country. And yeah, I came from my parents' house and I went to UNC and it was so different that it was, yeah, and so huge for me that I got so many experiences and so many things that I were new, new for me uh, that it took time for me to get, get it all in place and get aware of the things. But the competitive, like playing every game to win. Always train the best. Make sure you're fit. And when I came in at UNC, I wasn't fit enough. I came from an environment that was not as competitive as it was at UNC. And the players were there. It's also culture. When you're, the culture in, in the U.S. is that 
it's always about fitness and always about data. That's different in the Netherlands. Now data is, is very, very more common in the whole sports world. But in the US, they were much, they count everything. Uh, we don't even think about things they take count of. But the competitiveness and the focus or like we call the, um, the, when you train, you train. There's nothing else. You have focus. And you were just drowned into this. So it's coming. It's you. It becomes you. And I took that with me. And I w when I went to the Netherlands, I was, okay, this is what I've experienced now in the U.S. I, go, I went back. I said, this is what I want in the Netherlands. And it took about 20 years. What I was hoping that you poured into the Dutch culture is the sort of training of mentality. Because obviously the Dutch know how to train everything else. I mean, my gosh. Uh, and I also think that a part of the Dutch culture is training mentality. But there's sort of a difference in the way people treat uh, women all over the world. And obviously in chauvinistic countries that obviously didn't give women the chance early, uh, the way they treat their women is different. So maybe what they're thinking is the women can't handle this competitive yeah. stuff. What I was hoping is exactly what you said, that this culture of competitiveness you were experiencing with our women is something you took back into Holland. And here's the other thing that's interesting. Please don't think that everything in the United States was about data. It wasn't. We were about data. No one else was. In other words, please don't think that your experience with us is like the rest of the country. It was not. Uh, we were the ones that were doing everything with data. No one else was doing anything with data. You were sort of thinking that, well, this is how America works. No, it's not. That's how we worked. That's what sort of set us apart. Uh, so I'm so excited you shared that because I'm watching your team play in this World Cup and I'm going, holy cow. In every line, you guys were competitive as could be. I don't use the word mentality all the time. Mm -hmm. I use the word behavior. Mm -hmm. and uh, perform we call actually if i translate it directly to english it's like performance behavior we talk about if you want to win you need to, to be the best you can be which is you know everyone says that's easy to say but how do you do that what behavior do you need and i use words you use you told the story about me training on her own no one is watching i already put that down in my dressing room when i was coach of ado i use those things And then I have a story around it. I use, in the World Cup, I used some things that I experienced in the US. And it's all about connecting people. So I said, now we are a family. We need each other and we're not perfect. So of course you get conflicts and you get irritated, but how do you react on it? And how do you keep connected with each other when it gets hard? You know, when you win, it's really easy. When you get setbacks or someone gets really uh, disappointed about a choice that I take and it's your friends and women, I think, are more uh, sensitive for those things, then what do you do? And you need to perform. So you need to behave or you, yeah, you need to control those things and you, mm -hmm. you, you need to um, help each other and be positive about things, although some things can be negative. It's not all fun and it's not all beauty. It is mentality. We talk about behavior. We want to perform, to perform well, and what do we need? And that's how I try to connect with the team and, of course, with my staff. Fantastic, Serena. 
Hey everyone, we're going to take a quick break here to tell you about our sponsor, Soccer.com. Anson has been coaching for 44 years and it seems like Soccer.com has been around nearly that long as well. It's pretty close as the Soccer.com business has been family run and based in Hillsborough, North Carolina since 1984. If you're a player or a coach who needs soccer, shoes, equipment gear, whatever it may be, do what the pros do. Head on over to Soccer.com. And this podcast is also sponsored by Continental Tire. No matter where the road takes you, Continental Tire provides the confidence to get you there. For any surface and every season, from passenger cars to light trucks, there's a Continental Tire that delivers superior performance. To find your ideal tire, visit ContinentalTire.com. Continental Tire, official sponsor of the Vision of a Champion podcast. And I also want to give you a chance, Serena, you mentioned that your mentality seemed, you know, very different from the mentality in the Netherlands in that 20-year period where you really saw soccer develop for the women's game. So I just want to give you a chance, if, you, if you'd like, just kind of explain how from your time as a youth player to now as a coach, obviously, you led your team to the World Cup final. How has soccer changed in, in the Netherlands for women specifically? There is perspective. The game has grown uh, and it has to do with, uh, of course, with more players. But the, the first thing is you need to perform well, because if you perform well, you, you get visible, you get attention. And we needed that attention to grow, because when you get attention, then you get more facilities and hopefully you get better coaches and the facilities. And so you can get a youth that can develop because of the facilities and the good coaches and you need to educate coaches you need to educate women coaches so the position of women need to get better then you can grow so over the years that the the dutch federation has made choices that what uh, what made the reason that we can develop so we have more people involved and being focused on women's on the women's game uh, and in 2007, we got this competition. Vera Pau was, was important for that with the organization. She, we got a varsity competition. And before we, you know, when I played, I had to play at 10 o'clock in the morning and a regional. Uh, and we didn't even have competition for the whole country. So in, in a lot of, I think in 25 years, it has grown so much. And we needed that growth. Then you need a better structure. You need better facilities. You need better people. Then you get more players, and when you get a better education, then you can grow. And then when you perform, you get visible, and then opportunities come. Anson, I also want to give you a chance if you want to. Obviously, you've helped pioneer the women's game, and, and it's changed so much since you've seen it. So you know, how far do you think that the women's game has come, and what else needs to be done, in your opinion, going forward? Well, first of all, uh, obviously, what uh, Serena and her culture has done in Holland is extraordinary. What I also appreciate is how much they've, uh, they've given to us. I mean, uh, back in the old days, a lot of what we did was from the Dutch culture. Now you're generalizing, but I think that's that you did, because we came and you did the wheel curver drills. Correct. <laughs> it wasn't just Corver. It was the Corver stuff, which was our warm-up in the off-season yeah. for uh, uh, futsal. Uh, so, yeah, we, had stole, we, we stole that from the Dutch culture, but also we played the Dutch system. We played uh, the 1-3-4-3, three, three, and uh, what was interesting as well is 
Another thing I learned when I was being beaten to death in Zeist was when I was talking about my system, I called it the 343. And one of the Dutch coaches said, well, uh, surely because of the importance of your goalkeeper in your shape, because we had to play with a goalkeeper outside the penalty box, a high goalkeeper, you're not playing a 343, you are playing a 1343. And so while I was over there, you know, as I mentioned, getting beaten to death in Zeist, I was learning some things from the Dutch coaches, you know, that were smashing me around the room. And one of the things I learned was about that you have to include the goalkeeper in any shape, certainly in the way we were playing. So a lot of the ideas I stole were Dutch ideas. Yes, Serena's absolutely correct. We uh, were all in with Corver, And in the offseason, Corver for us was everything. It was our warm-up the entire time in the offseason. Uh, but it's a great warm-up. It's, you know, one ball, one player. There's no better, you know, technical player development platform than, you know, having a ball for every single player. So the Corver stuff for us, uh, we were married to it and we loved it. The kids loved it. And then the Dutch system itself, the, uh, you know, one three four three. Uh, was right out of the Dutch system. Now, even though back then I think the Dutch played uh, four central midfielders and my shape was the opposite, I had basically wide midfielders. Yeah. Uh, still, uh, the similarities and the things I stole from the Dutch, I mean, it, and it goes on and on and on. As Serena knows, one of my favorite events is every three weeks we would play a 4v4 tournament. Yeah. That's completely out of the Dutch culture. Yeah. And the thing I loved about the uh, 4v4 tournaments is you have every aspect of shape in a 4v4. You've got a penetrating player high, you've got two players wide, and you have a supporting player underneath with a goalkeeper. So, uh, and even though it's not really 4v4, if, again, I were in Zeist, I would have to say it's 5v5 because, again, I've ignored the goalkeeper. And so, no, but you also did it without goalkeeper. We also played without yes. goalkeeper. So yes, small, we did. Side, small yeah. fields mm -hmm. and a, a wide field. So the different structure of the field made the subjective of the, the drill. Clear. What a memory. Serena's absolutely right. We played narrow 4v4s yeah. where the most critical thing was penetration. We yeah. played wide 4v4s where the most critical element was width. And so Serena's spot on. So we allowed the shape of the field to dictate the tactics of the game. Yeah. And so, yeah, the way we taught was by playing. And so a lot of this was right out of the Dutch handbook and we had learned a lot from them. So I don't want to you know, pretend that this is just a one-way street. Of course not. We learned a lot from the Dutch. But what was interesting as well, as we, the United States, started to hire the Dutch coaches to impact our culture, an area where I think everyone misses in Europe is the value of the collegiate game in the United States. Because obviously, all over the rest of the world, they're not into the collegiate game because obviously they go straight as a 16-year-old that's a quality player, signs a pro contract pretty soon, and then she's with one of the big clubs in their countries, and that's the route they go. I genuinely think that the trouble with then relying on like a Dutch influence in our girls' player development is they miss this huge opportunity for player development that our universities give our kids because what we have is a massive number of players playing at a university level in the United States. So what we have is a huge player pool. Now are our player pools as good as the top teams in Europe when they bring a 16, 17, 18 year old? No, they're not. But the number of 17, 18, 19, 20 year olds that we have playing in college Playing at a high level is also very good for our national team and pro structure. Sometimes 
the collegiate game in the United States is undervalued when looked at internationally, so much so that now the interest in the foreign athletes coming to an American college is also at an all-time high, which is sort of counterintuitive when you think that, well, shouldn't they automatically jump into the top teams that they're playing for in Europe? Well, yeah, you can say from a player development perspective, possibly, but the uh, top American colleges not only provide the education, but also a playing experience that I think can continue to contribute to the growth, even of the top European players. So I think uh, there's a different route in Holland and in the United States to develop to an elite level. But I still think that uh, we have learned so much from the Dutch and hopefully uh, with uh, what Serena is talking about, we've shared some of our ideas with them and their structure as well. Serena, I also just want to remark on the fact that, you know, in 2016, you became the first woman to work as a coach at a Dutch professional football organization, period. And then within three years, you had your team in a World Cup final. So if you would, just kind of tell me about the experience of becoming that first women's coach, breaking that barrier, and then all of a sudden you make this deep run into the World Cup and, and kind of what that experience was like for you. Yeah, well, actually, it, it's a little over-exaggerating. I did um, the UEFA Pro course. And during that year, I did an internship at Sparta Rotterdam with uh, Alex Pastor, was then the coach. And he was open-minded, which was good for me, because the men's game is not very used to women in the game. Well, when there are women in the organizations, they're most or the doctor or the physiotherapist or the manager, but no technical, no coaches. Yeah, I, I, he needed to get used to me. That, that, that took one day. And then he said, okay, you can come every day. So, um, like I just said, I just knew that if I got the chance to coach a little bit, I just needed to be yeah, the best I could be. So, when I got the chance, I needed to, to be there. That year was really good to see how the men's game goes, how the organization goes. Because I always thought, well, in the men's game, everything's better and higher level and but it wasn't. I was used to that energy. I was used to the standards. And in tactical, uh, it was no problem for me to compete or to compete in, in discussions. And I needed that to get comfortable with myself or to get confidence in those things. And then I, uh, I was assistant coach of the Dutch national team. And then at Sparta, they had a problem. One of their coaches got ill and he had to go out for a couple of months. And because I knew everything of the club and the organization, but I was also, I can also go with the computer, with the tactics uh, and the video analysis. They said, well, we have been thinking we need someone to, uh, to help. And it's for a couple of months. Uh, yeah, we, we made a list, but there's actually one person on the list and that's you. So can you please <laughs> help us? And I said, sure, I will help you. But I, I you know, I'm with the national team and, after the, the break of the uh, from January, we need to concentrate on the European Championship in 2017. So this month I can can help a couple of times, and uh, I really love to do that too. Uh, but then uh, after after a couple of months, I need to step back again and and do only the the national team. That's how it works, and that was really nice. But actually, the experience of the whole year at that club with the team. That helped me very much, and the the, the pro course helped me because I went to all the pro clubs men's and I went to Arsenal at the men's side and I've seen so many things and then I feel really ready for the next step. 
So Anson, I kind of just got to beg the question, you know, you have a player, a former player like Serena, who's now a coach. You had four former players on the U.S. side. So when you're watching this World Cup, who are you rooting for? You know, you got coaches, players, so many. So who, who do you tend to cheer for? Watch, what is that like for you when you watch the World Cup? Well, obviously, uh, having Serena in the final was just so wonderful for me. And actually, we had five kids on that team. Five. Uh, wow. So we had more than four. We had five. And uh, obviously, I have to root for the United States. I, I'm sorry, Serena, but, you know, I still... <laughs> no, I, I understand. You know, yeah, but <laughs> still, I'm watching this game, and I am so proud of the way the Dutch are playing. And keep in mind, obviously, I'm watching the Dutch through the whole tournament. So it's not like the only game I watched uh, Serena coach was that final. No, I'm watching this Dutch team. And I am cheering for them wildly in every game just because, you know, Serena's in the sideline. And then I thought it was so cool whenever, you know, the camera would, you know, show the bench and Serena would be there uh, looking very formal and very serious. Uh, <laughs> I because, am yep, still. <laughs> yep, she looks very serious. And, and I loved it. I mean, I absolutely loved it uh, because, uh, you know, when she played for me, I mean, yeah, that was a serious side to her. But, you know, a lot of the time when I watched her playing for me, she had a smile on her face. Uh, but no, 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 not on that Dutch sideline. There is this serious – and, you know, and I just thought it was great. So, uh, you know, I followed her team right through that World Cup. And, and yes, I was so proud they got to the final. And, obviously, I'm rooting for the United States. But in every game, I thought the, the Dutch just did so many things well. And I think Miedema, you know, may end up breaking the – National team goals for all time. I mean, this young player, I mean, she's young and the number of international goals she scored already, but also watching her score for Arsenal, I mean, oh my gosh, just what an extraordinary player. Uh, and she wasn't the only one. I'm looking through every line and uh, just every line that uh, on that Dutch team was quality and they competed, which I loved because, you know, what I'm hoping is, you know, Serena got that from us. So I'm sort of watching this thinking, you know, surely some of that stuff is coming from us. It's sort of like a, a proud father, you know, <laughs> watching his, you know, daughter compete. And so for me, all these things are going from my mind. But uh, Natalie, I have to tell the truth. And I know Serena appreciates this. But yes, uh, I was rooting for the United States in that final. <laughs> yeah, I totally understand wouldn't be good if you would have been cheering for us but the, you know it's funny you say that you watch the dutch and uh, they were i think i also think we're really competitive right? in this team everyone really wants to win but we also want to show that we have good players and we and, and we can compete as a team and we play as a team and we can play football as a team very well you just said a couple of minutes ago that the dutch team they're fit too in earlier years, we weren't as fit. So when you're not fit enough, you can't do the things in soccer you want to do. So you can't execute the things you want to do. Our Dutch players still think that uh, we weren't fit enough in the tournament. I don't think so. I think we were fit enough. I just think we need to bring our game just to the next level. So there's this thing between, is it fitness or is it technical, technical things we need to do better? And if it doesn't work, so we, we're not fit enough. But I don't think, I think it's a combination of, I think if we're composed enough, if we're relaxed enough uh, and fit enough, and I think we are fit enough, and just execute a little better, make just little better choices, then we can go to the next level. 
Anson, you claim in the chapter that a lot of coaches have a specific bias. So when youth national teams and college coaches need to fill roster spots, they typically favor players from soccer hotbeds or or very well-known areas. But you also suggest that it's possible for players who come from less popular areas to still get attention and be recognized by these coaches. So how would you suggest a player go about that, whether trying to get recruited collegiately, trying to get national attention? Yeah, so uh, the way we look at our recruiting is actually, and uh, uh, Serena will appreciate this, and maybe Holland's got a similar sort of uh, regionalism, In the United States, based on what part of the country you're recruiting, you're going to get a certain kind of player. So she was uh, speaking about, you know, these technical, tactical areas to improve in. I mean, that's classic uh, Southern California. So if you look at a typical American roster, uh, because the weather down there is extraordinary and in areas of extraordinary weather in the United States, uh, you know, people flock there and then they're playing outdoors year round. And so the typical player in uh, Southern California is very skillful and very tactical, and that separates them. If you go to the the Northeast, into New England, they're basically playing in the snow and the mud. And so these sorts of players have a different sort of, you know, fighting mentality. And uh, if the weather is horrible on that day, they don't even care. They're going to figure out a way to win. They're going to gut it out. If you go to the South, that's also a very hardened kind of player a combative player. If you go to the Midwest, uh, basically, it's sort of a big, strong player. Uh, So based on what part of the country you come from, there's a certain style that becomes attractive to a roster. If I'm doing my best job in recruiting, I am recruiting from all four regions of the United States, because what you want is you want all these qualities based on position. And so my six, my defensive midfielder, yeah, I want a big you know, strong girl from the Midwest that can win headers and smash into people and, you know, intimidate. But I want my sevens and my elevens, my outside uh, front runners to be sort of the Southern Californians that can rip you up 1v1. I want, you know, one of my center backs uh, to be, you know, maybe a kid from the South that's also a very, very determined and competitive. And then at least one or two of these New England mudders that can play in any conditions and all of a sudden it's snowing out And a big smile ends up in the girl's face and she can't wait to start playing because it's snowing. You know, so I want uh, all these different things. So based on uh, who you are and where you're from, uh, there's going to be a place for you in the American uh, collegiate uh, pantheon, uh, I promise you. And I'm wondering, uh, Serena, is this the case in Holland? Because uh, I lived in Belgium and there's a complete difference between a Walloon and a Flam in everything. (laughs) So in Holland, are there regional differences in your soccer game, or is it just too small a country to have any differences? Yeah, yeah. I think it's too small a country. And we don't have two languages. In, in, in Belgium, they have also two languages. Mm-hmm. Now, we're a very small country. I think uh, our region, we, we're about as big as North Carolina, I think. Uh, so it's really small, but you're talking also about physical things, but also about characters. Mm-hmm. And you can, you know, when you're, I'm from the West, I'm from the coast and we, they call us like you said, all the Dutch are, but we were all, uh, sometimes a big mouth. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, we're very uh, direct and in the Eastern country or, or Southeast, they're not that direct. So sometimes you have to, well, especially as a coach, you need to know who you're talking to because you can be very direct 
and also in the team if you have those characters you can just some point them out are they from the west of the country or the east yeah with some differences of course it's not part of the countries where the bigger women come from or the smaller or the more the dutch are pretty much adventurous i think that's in the whole country that's 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 part of our culture too we we can discuss about anything we call it a polar model but it also makes us strong because when you discuss you think yourself about things and we have so many players that if you say you have to do you have to go to the right you say why okay <laughs> what's the purpose for that <laughs> that's kind of typical for dutch which is in when you have to make your own choices in the game yeah that you, helps you yeah that helps you Along those same lines, Serena, in the chapter, Anston kind of mentions how the training of a youth player tends to get pretty serious when they're joining an ECNL team or an Olympic development team in the U.S. So I know in Europe, youth soccer looks very different. So I'm curious, at what point in a young boy or girl's soccer career do they really start to take their training seriously? And what does that next step look like? Yeah. Well, if you go from the youth to the senior football, first of all, we have mixed football. Uh, so when I played, it was illegal and I did it illegally. But now from six to 12, it's all mixed. You can mix, have mixed football. And I think that's really good because boys and girls are kind of the same in their, in their development, in their growth physically. And when you come to the puberty, then it, the changes come um, physically, but also social emotionally. That's what, when in the beginning of this talk, we were like, like girls should challenge themselves and you can compete. And I think, that, like, it, I, I think that's also an advantage of mixed football. Treat the girls just as the same as the boys. I can get really angry when a girl falls and some say, oh, are you okay? And when a boy falls, you say, okay, get up, treat them the same way. And then from, from around 11, 12 years, then the, the Dutch Federation, we have these regional teams. So that's the first time we can get selected or recruited. Uh, and then they train sometimes with the, with the federation. Um, then around, then now some professional clubs, they start training also some younger girls from around 13, 14 years. And they, they train at their own club team. We, have, we don't have a school system. We have a club system. So after you go to schools, you go to the club and there you train. So that's totally different than in the U.S., and then when you're good, you can compete in a selected team from the federation. And from the under 15, we start like as a kind of the national teams. Then we still have mixed paths. So we have girls can play with the boys as long as they want. So if they're in a good situation, they can stay there on a high level. But from around 16 years, you can also go to a, to a women's team in, in a pro, uh, at a pro club. And then you start, you come in this varsity environment and you have the national teams. So all together you go to school. Some schools have training sessions, but they don't have a team. So in the morning, like the school that I was a teacher and my husband is a teacher now, he does those classes. So in the Tuesday and Thursday morning, the girls and boys come in, they train and then they go to class. And then in the afternoon, sometimes they have a training session with the team or sometimes with the federation or sometimes the next day. 
I know, Anson, the development of some of your players, I've just heard them all say, you know, we played with boys when we were younger or, you know, something of this sort too. So I don't know if you want to note on, you know, development and the stories you've heard from your girls and how they developed, whether playing with boys or jumping age groups too, because I know that's also mentioned in the chapter. Yeah, so uh, uh, Serena, I appreciate what you said about uh, in Holland, as long as a girl can continue to compete with a boy, she's allowed to play with them. That's fabulous. And I wish we had that philosophy in this country. But it's sort of interesting, uh, for that first World Cup when I was the U.S. women's national coach, uh, the U.S. didn't really put that much money into developing their national team. So we had this philosophy of uh, basically self-coaching. And the main platform for self-coaching was playing one-on-one. And who would the girls play one-on-one with? They would play one-on-one against their boyfriends. Yeah. (laughs) And, of course, Karen Jennings uh, was dating Jim Gabera. (laughs) Jim Gabera was the captain of the U.S. futsal team. This is a great American male player. So when Karen Jennings would come into a camp after playing 1v1 against Jim for the last three or four months, holy cow, she could beat any of the girls because she'd been playing against Jim the whole time. So for us, we've always endorsed, you know, playing against boys as long as possible. But I loved what you said. I love that you're saying that in Holland, it's actually a part of the philosophy for the girl to play with the boys as long as possible. And I absolutely love that. I am sure that's one reason uh, your culture on the girls and women's side is so good. And I wish we had that in the United States. Yeah, but it, it, it's, it keeps, you have to keep working on it. You have to keep telling people from in, at the club teams why we are doing that and that the development of boys and girls from the age to six from six to around 12 is the same now the, the puberty over the years is, has come earlier so and girls come into the puberty a little earlier so then changes come but that's also especially social emotionally in the in the beginning you have to be aware of that so you need people that you know that, that are educated in that part to tell the story to inform people why we are doing that. I think, okay, we have enough girls. We have eight girls now, so we can make a team, put them all together. But then you have a girl that is, you know, she just likes to watch a little bit in the game. And you have a girl that's really competitive like, like we are or we were. That, that doesn't fit. You shouldn't play together in a team. You should look at the age, at the ambition, at the talent, and then you bring them together. And when you have just an amount of players, boys and girls, so see it as players, not boys and girls, and you have 30, then you, you know, you can let them play, but at their own level. And just to wrap up, Serena, I want to give you a chance to kind of describe your transition from player under Anson in the Netherlands to now a national coach of your home national team. And then Anson, following Serena, if you want to remark on her career and include any comments you have as well. But Serena, I'd love to hear about the player to coach transition. That's a transition of 30 years. (laughs) Now, well, I, you know, I've been interested in coaching and teaching. I wanted to be a teacher when I was 10 years old. So when I was 10, I already said, I'm going to do physical education. So I've always been interested in coaching and working with people. And I really love playing soccer. Uh, but I loved all sports. So I did, I did a lot of sports. But always soccer was the first sport. So I did that as long as possible. And when I got pregnant, I had to quit. And in the Netherlands, there was not, you didn't earn any money with soccer at that time. So I needed to quit and I wouldn't have made it anyway. I wasn't good enough anymore and I wasn't fit enough anymore. 
Um, so then I went out for just a couple of years. We got two kids pretty close to each other. And um, then after, yeah, after a while, I, I felt I, I missed the game. I missed being with the people. So I started playing a little bit and I started coaching the youth again. Then when I quit playing, I went full time. I, I quit my job as a physical education teacher because I got the chance to be a professional coach. And in the beginning, I felt like a soccer player. I just wanted to jump in and play and had so much fun playing. But then you get a little older and in the beginning, I was a little restless. And now I'm a little peaceful. And I look very serious. I am very serious. Some people think that I don't have fun, but I have a lot of fun coaching. But when the game starts, I'm concentrated and it looks very angry. But yes, I have a lot of fun. And now I just feel like a coach trying to connect people that's the thing that i really like to do and that's what i also yeah maybe i should finish that that take from unc that it was like it felt like family everyone took care of each other and there's just you know i remember some things i remember so good tracy bates at the year i went there she you know we had to run the cooper and she was running it twice and she came back so come on let's go and I will never, ever forget it. I would never, she, she, she turned her ACL in that year. And I was just so emotional for her because she was such a great person. And I felt so bad for her, but still she was positive. And then, you know, that people took care of Dino took me uh, for a vacation. Everyone went out for a vacation and said, okay, you by yourself, you come with me. We go to my family. They take care of you. And that's not just coaching. That's just taking care of people. Yeah, Serena, thank you for everything you've shared because uh, we haven't changed. I mean, for us, uh, it, it is. It's still about connection. Uh, it's about, uh, you know, how you connect with the kids that you're playing alongside of. Uh, the philosophy going into the NCAA tournament is still, uh, you know, playing for the people around you. The yeah. cliche we use is playing for each other. That's, you know, still the case of, you know, what we believe in. Obviously, we believe in competing, uh, but we believe right at the end of the competition, for everyone to still be friends, which uh, in some uh, women's cultures is difficult. It's very difficult yeah. to compete. Uh, the things you were chatting about earlier, about where you are emotionally, about the, your growth, uh, and can you compete and still connect with these people following mm -hmm. the session? And then the other thing, Serena, you're absolutely right. When we had you on our team for that one year when, of course, you helped us win a national championship, there were smiles on your face. And that's why I love it when they pan the bench because holy cow, do you look serious during a game. Um, and of course, for me, it's, it's a contrast from what I remember because I know who you are and I know you enjoy all of these different things. But of course, there are environments for you to get serious. And I just want you to know, Serena, how all of us are so incredibly proud of you. Please, one of these days, come back stay with me and Melissa for a couple of days, spend a couple of days with uh, Dino and Wendy, uh, yeah, spend nice. a week with us in Chapel Hill. Let us take care of you. Maybe we'll take you to the beach or something as well, but uh, please figure out a way to come back and visit uh, because uh, we would certainly love to have you come back and see this place again. Thank you so much. That's nice. Well, actually, my daughter, she says, why don't we ever go back there? She, she, she's into soccer. Well, here's the idea. Send your daughter to camp <laughs> yeah. while she's in camp. Hang out with me and Melissa and Dino and Wendy, and we'll have a good time while your daughter's in camp for four or five days, and then take her back to Holland. Because, by the way, Lucy Bronze yes. came to our camp for three years in a row before coming to UNC. Oh, so, she did? Yes. Oh, wow. So, so this will be a route into uh, 
her ascension onto the Dutch national team, we can be a part of her route in. So uh, Serena, please come back, bring your family. You can stay with us. We'd love to have you. Uh, so please know our home is open to you. Thank you very much. Well, and if you're in the Netherlands, it's the same for us. You can just always visit us with such a pleasure to talk to you again. <laughs> no, Serena, I've enjoyed it. Thank you. A great conversation with you both today, but that was Serena Vegman, former UNC player and current Netherlands women's national team head coach. If you like this show, one way you can support our work is to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and leave us a rating and review as well. This show was edited and produced by Creative Allies. If you're looking for information on full-service podcast production, head on over to creativeallies.com. I'm Natalie Bodie, and we'll see you next time on the Vision of a Champion podcast. Hey, everyone. I hope you liked this episode. And I just want to thank all of the people involved in making this happen and all of our sponsors, including outoffootball.com. In addition to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all the usual podcast apps, you can listen to the show on adafootball.com, which is a new women's soccer community that is helping elevate the sport through sharing some of the top women's matches, highlights, and athletes from around the world. Ada is enabling women's football to shine its brightest now and for generations of young female footballers to come. So visit adafootball.com to learn more. Hey fans, you can follow the Vision of a Champion podcast chapter by chapter by purchasing the hard paperback online. Simply go to ansondorancesoccer.com. If you are ordering the book, use promo code VISIONCHAMP. That's VISIONCHAMP to get a 15% discount. And thank you for listening to the Vision of a Champion podcast.